podcast theme ain't got no words. The podcast is called Secret Skin, like my homie bus driver and his secret skins. He's got more than one. Not his real skins, but the name of one of his songs that I like a lot. It's off an album of his that I like a lot. It's called Roquel Overcoat, and he's got this other song on there called Ethereal Driftwood. Broken TV sets and a theoretical driftwood. I never knew surrendering. I messed it up really bad. You know why I messed it up? Because I didn't plan to sing it. Going off the head here, riffing. But I shouldn't because I got a lot of stuff to talk about. Feeling good right now. Got some rap dates, rap dates, rap dates I need to tell you guys about. I said it three times because it's important. Okay. I'm going to be in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Madison, Wisconsin, Iowa City, Iowa, and Chicago. Very soon in July, you can check out all the dates at MikeEagle.net on the Shows tab. All that information is laid out there for you. And this week, this week, this week, there's a vinyl edition of a special episode that will be released to the public. Um, pre-orders are up already, and a lot of them have been claimed. If you want one, please uh, go to mellowmusicgroup.com and um, give them money to reserve your copy. There's a limited edition run. Uh, they're red discs, and they're beautiful, and they're pretty. And uh, we got some other stuff to announce pretty soon, too, that I'm also excited about. I might be more excited about these other things because I have to keep my excitement in my body. I am three or four months pregnant with excitement. But forget about me. I got somebody here to tell you a secret. Hey, can you keep a secret? Good. So can I. Just joshing. Most of my problems are better than a sharp poke in the eye. Did you ever go to the Mütter Museum where they keep a file of things so folks won't choke and die? Here's one more secret. If you social network for over an hour a day, that makes you an intern. Fellow, you best build your own platform before your skin turns yellow. A platform is worth a thousand pictures, and a clear word is worth a thousand big words. But just between you and me, Mike's Mike reeks of gin. Mine has hints of lavender as I kick off the first secret segment for Secret Skin. Now, see, that last part was supposed to be a secret between me and him. He's got no business telling you what my microphone smells like. And it's not gin, sir. It is Asahi beer. And I shouldn't say it like that because that's kind of rude. Anyway, who is that? Not going to tell you. That's a secret. Maybe if you figure it out, maybe if you send a guess to omebooking at gmail.com, if you're correct. If you're like the first, maybe three people who think they know who that was. I will reward you with something tangible that I will send to your mailing address, assuming that you do not live outside of the United States, because that, my dear friend, would cost too much for um, as a reward for for some some uh, quiz game, which I am making up as we go along. I've decided that I don't want that game to cost me money that much money. There's a limit. To limit to the amount of money I'm willing to spend on something I just thought of. I think, is that what adulthood means? I think that's, that's what it is. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you who that was. I'm going to tell you who I'm about to talk to on this here episode of Secret Skin. I have a very, very uh, entertaining 
interview with my good friend MC Frontalot. We recorded it at his place in Brooklyn. Um, interesting to me because what I learned in the middle of this interview is that I am sort of a marker for MC Frontalot. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. It's a wrestling term. Basically, a marker, a mark is someone who believes that all of the characters in wrestling and you know the outcomes and all of that are are real basically you believe it's real but if you mark for someone that means that you take their character seriously and there's there's complete suspension of disbelief and i um primarily know mc frontal lapa being a fan of his for a very long time uh, i discovered his music um Oh, man, it had to be 2003. I don't even remember how. Maybe maybe this is a case where I think another one of my students in the dorm that I was on RA for showed me his stuff, and I thought it was really amazing. Um, and his character is very jovial and fun, and, and I feel like whenever we've hung out, he's been jovial and fun. I've gotten a chance to hang out on a few occasions, but uh, he's had some serious stuff going on. He's been in some, uh, dare I say, dark places and I think that because I was so invested in his character, I didn't uh, think that he had those kinds of troubles. So I learned about this while we were talking. And uh, it was it was really interesting and eye-opening for me. And here we are. Here it is. Here I am. Here you are. And this is my talk with MC Frontalot. This is Secret Skin. Check, check. So we're, we're actually recording now. Uh, that's what I like to do. Is enter things mid conversation. Why not? Because make it sound like um, spontaneity. Like and 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 this way the listener feels like all the secrets were told just before they got here. That's right. Yeah. But perhaps the secrets will be hinted at. Our tone of voice will reveal exactly what was. I think you, you might be pulling back the curtain a little a little much. I don't know if you. <laughs> I don't know if you want to give that much away, and have them have them uh trying to trying to deduce what the secrets are. But we're here. With my friend Damien, who many of you know as MC Front a lot. Welcome to New York, Mike. Yeah, man. Um, I've been Welcome here. Back. I feel bad, dude, because I thought I, I, in my head, I was like, I texted Damien, but I didn't text Damien, and um, I had a show Sunday. What? Yes. Oh, how'd I miss that? Because I'm stupid. That's how. That's how you missed it. I I'm feel dumb. it's on me to not be following your calendar properly. <laughs> you see, exactly. <laughs> The calendar that you only you're only aware of when I send it to your to your phone, your in in text message format. Like, hey, you know where I get most of my information these days? What's that? Twitter. Do you? As though it were my my television and all my friends. I do a lot of reading of the twitters too. It, it is probably my main internet addiction is reading the twitters. Even though I probably only every time I log on, I'll look at maybe seven or eight things, mm. and then I'm done with it. You know. But uh, but that's still the probably the way that I spend the most of my time. I sit and watch, I sit and look at it for about six minutes, seven minutes. But if I go too far in between, then I might not know my friends in town. I see. Or that there's been an earthquake. Yeah, you know? I, I look for news. I get up in the morning, and then I look at Twitter quickly to see if anything disastrous has happened. I've got this problem now where I don't get up in the morning. I lie in bed for about an hour looking at my telephone. I it's see. not. I feel wow. it's not healthy for my my eyes, the rest of my body. That's so uh, poetic. My innards. I lie in bed looking at my telephone. <laughs> yeah, if you had that, if you said that in like 1970, it would mean 
you really wanted somebody to call you and it was giving you <laughs> depression. Right. Or maybe that you had like an aesthetic appreciation of the plastic molding. I see. Um, or the curly cord. I love that the curly cord. Anymore. Yeah. Oh, isn't Gosh, it great? The curly cord. We still have a little bit of uh, of that in our lives because of headphones. I see. Yeah, phones. I like how you're playing with one as we speak. Yeah. I wish now I need I need a camera. I need a video component just for little synchronicities like that. You know. <laughs> so as a okay, they call you Nerdcore. Yeah. How do you feel about that label? Well. I made the label up. I don't I, know if you knew that. You probably did. You know, I, I didn't. I suspected, but I wasn't quite sure. So, to set the scene for you, mm-hmm. I'm sitting there rapping in front of my computer in the year, I guess like probably about January 2000. Yeah. And it strikes me that this is like a real dorky way to uh, try and be a rapper. <laughs> So I, I write a, I'm like, oh, it's so, it's so nerdy. It's like nerd core. Like one could, you know, invert the inherent shame of uh, the nerd identity and pretend to uh, attack it with uh, bravado and, and self-congratulation as though that were a thing that any nerd would ever do, hmm. which it, at the time did not seem to me like it was. So it was just kind of like a, a slightly comedic affectation that I thought I could write a song around. And, and it I turned did. Out you wrote your career around it. Yeah, and then I wrote the song, and then I'm like, oh, you know what though? That's like that's the kind of word that sounds like it might become a salient meme, and maybe some lazy journalists would cover it in the press, and it could turn into a whole little thing. Now you had you had so you I had those thoughts uh, consciously as you started using the phrase. Yeah, I'm like, oh, it's nerdcore. Like that could be. <laughs> also uh, absent from the visual component is. Me getting photographed while talking. <laughs> it's good through a I've never done pop guard. It's great <laughs> on a microphone. You're very photogenic. Compelling visual. Um. Anyway, so I'm sitting there, wrapping into the thing, and I, I, it sort of was just meant as a, like a slightly self-deprecating little stab at my own enterprise, which was only a hobby at the time. You right. know, like I didn't. What were you doing? What was your main thing? Web design. Okay. And I was freelancing, so I didn't like have a job. I could kind of ignore my clients at any given moment and make a song. But I was more interested in home recording than in trying to convince people that I would be good at rapping or that people should pay attention to me rapping. That all seemed very foreign. Had you rapped a lot before you started recording? I mean, always for fun. And I'd done other kind of music also for fun. But all of my friends were the, the talented music people. What other kind of music did you do? I mean, I play like campfire proficiency guitar, you know, um, I'd been in like jazz choir in high school. Um, I was doing sort of various pretend bands for song fight at the time. Right. Uh, so sort of like a gothy rock band and like a, an obscene folk band kind of thing, but they were all just project by project, like week by week, you'd have to make a song. So you'd sit down with your available materials and the home recording was what I was excited about. Right. Because computers had recently gotten fast, and pro-gauge sound cards had gotten cheap. What year was this? We're talking about, like, late 90s. Okay. So, like, 98, 99, 2000. And I'd I'd been on four tracks before that, you know, ever since high school. Right. Um, And through college. And you can put a lot of energy into a four track and get a little bit out. Right. Um, well, what seems now like only a very little bit of, uh, technological wizardry is possible with that thing. Whereas suddenly you could do it. suddenly this computer that I'd always like had my life partially centered around 
had a whole real CD quality studio in it. What was it? You remember the first interface you recorded on? Oh man. Um, yeah, the, uh, M audio before it got acquired. Um, used to make these beautiful, uh, DAs, the DAX and, I think I had a, the first like serious, oh, it was a Delta 44 was the first one I got my hands on. And then I upgraded that to a Delta 1010. Now is that, a, is that a PCI card? It was that, a PCI card. Yeah. It was like rack mountable, though I didn't have a rack and it just had uh 10 ins and 10 outs, just TRS quarter inches. I can remember when I first uh, discovered what a, what an interface was because I thought that you could record through the microphone input on the standard sound blaster <laughs> card. Technically, you can. <laughs> yeah, and I did. And then I realized, oh, that's right, you can do this because your uh, your vocal comes in sounding like negative 2 dB. <laughs> SongFi was wonderful um, for that because there were a bunch of other home recording enthusiasts and amateur mu- uh, musicians, and they're all on the BBS mm-hmm. every week talking about each other's songs um, and talking about you know how to get past what it sounds like on your sound blaster because that's how everybody's first recording is and what was that first song where you said nerdcore what was the first song it's a song called nerdcore hip-hop from early 2000 and i kept using i just kept dropping the word in to the rest of the songs that year thinking oh well here i could have a sort of a unifying theme pish posh man i'll come as whack as i like Spit spackle the mic, dispensing my disingenuous advice. Accuse famous rappers of biting my style. Get shot at. Sit at home trying to simulate me a high hat. Wishing CPU karakabi and hoping that if he does it isn't weak. I'm wishing CPU karakabi nerdcore hip hop could reign supreme. So that's how you felt about it then, and you felt like it was something you could keep pushing and journalists would catch up on? And I thought it would be fun, and it would just be a thing that only described my music. Hmm. But then I met other folks. That, um, like MC Chris was doing stuff that year, starting to get attention. Um, MC Stephen Hawking had already been doing it. I forgot about him. I made Stephen friends Hawking. with him. Um, I ran into Jesse Dangerously, this Canadian dude. Um YT Cracker was right. working on stuff already back then. And it was um it was suddenly like, oh, it's, it's, there's going to be all these nerd kids making rap using their computer skills perhaps um more than they're using their rap skills. Mm. But you can if you use your computer skills well enough, you could simulate having rap skills. That's the that's the secret of nerdcore. <laughs> you could just keep trying and trying, then edit it together, um, and press the right buttons on the right plugins, and suddenly you've leveled up your your rap skill without uh, having done it in real life. But you value <laughs> the ability to actually rap, of course. In your music, do you find that other nerdcore artists kind of don't as much? Oh uh, well, some of course, and that's like that's the danger of 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 a subgenre like this, mm-hmm. you know, or of like filk music at cons or like any What does that mean? That's the like folk music about high fantasy stuff. Okay. It's been around since Never heard of forever. It. Okay. Um but you know, the people dress up like bards and sing about Frodo <laughs> or whatever. Um but the danger of all that stuff is that it's 
the draw is identity based more than musically based. Um, and there's a, there's just going to always going to be a potential pitfall there that someone's like, I'm expressing my identity in a compelling way. And that's so important that I don't care that I don't sound good. And I, I, yeah, that bugs me. That's always bugged me. Have you ever, uh, have you ever been in a position or feel like you needed to address that with people at all? Well, I find that most people, if you actually talk to them about what they're doing, they are pretty keen to get better at it. Okay. You know, everybody's, well, almost everybody's self-critical and, and wants to do the best job they can. But everyone is also, you know, human and frail and, and limited mm-hmm. in scope and ability. And, and we're all mortal and like, we can only accomplish so much in our lives and we can only get so good at rapping. And that's the sort of warm place in my heart for the computer because I can do it as well as I possibly can and I can accelerate my rate of improvement as much as I possibly can. But when all those stats are maxed, I've still got another like 10 to 5,000% better that I can make myself sound right. using the technical skills. And that just that makes me happy because, you know, all art is fiction. And I'm trying to craft something. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to reveal anything, except in a sort of a literary way. I'm trying to conceal, like errors and failures, um, and craft something that is pleasing as a as a piece. Now, you know? given given your relationship with technology, um, how do you feel about uh, our addiction to our telephones? Does that does that well, yeah. How, how how would you define your relationship to that kind of technology? It's it's hard. There's a lot of things in life that um, take the pain away, you know? <laughs> like a good movie you can get lost in, a good book you can get lost in. Um, those things we kind of privilege in our minds as, as being like worthwhile art. It's like, okay, this cost me two hours of my life, but... It was so deep and meaningful, and it's part of the culture, and I'm really glad I watched that movie and didn't think about being depressed for two hours. But you sit there and watch 13 hours of Daredevil on Netflix, and you're like, well, hey, that was kind of garbage. Did you watch the whole thing already? I sure did. I'm on, like, episode three. <laughs> it's fine. It's actually it's pretty good, except for all the torture parts. <laughs> but, like, you sit there, and you're like, okay, that what was the value of that? Like, that took 13 hours of pain away Mm. um or i sat and played civ all night that took like eight hours of pain away and the phone is just doing that too you know you're like it informs you it enriches your life um but that's like 30 percent of its value and 70 percent of its value is it siphons depression out of your brain and body so that you don't kill yourself part of the (laughs) <laughs> and the whole internet is like that. But part, but it's funny that part of the reason to me why I can't, why I can barely look at Facebook at all, uh-huh. and why I can, you know, Twitter, like I said, is my biggest phone addiction. Mm-hmm. But I can't really look past ten or eleven things usually, and it's because while I'm looking and and I'm seeing interesting things, and for a minute it is a distraction, um, psychologically and emotionally. Sooner or later, I get to something that reminds me of pain. Sure. And, like, I can't use regular... I don't use Facebook. I, I look at my page 
to make sure people aren't being like garbage humans in the comments that need to get deleted. And that's like, that's a, and, or, you know, somebody needs to know when a show starts or something like I right. do like, you maintain it. I do basic, like minimum due diligence on my Facebook page, but the regular Facebook, even though it's only like people I care about in the real world, like it is so depressing. It is. There's so many just garbage humans on Facebook. And if they're a friend of a friend, they might just end up on your goddamn feed, <laughs> like commenting on something. And I just, ugh. No, Facebook I find hugely depressing. It's, it's really bad. Net negative. Nerd rap infest your internet. You left a trap, but it's empty. MC front a lot. Took a gate, but the bait was intending. Ending up uncaged and at large. To talk smack at you through the networking appliance that's in charge of every drip of your attention. Yo, when mine goes out, I've got to log in just to mention my disappointment at the interruption of convenience. I mean, just a lot left, but none up in between. This couple of minutes here, the couple of minutes later, it's an outrage at the price I pay. These dictators of my leisure rule with an iron fist. Has anybody ever been so put up? Your GPS run out of battery. First world problem. Got to wake up Saturday. First world problem. What is the source of your depression? You keep bringing up depression. <laughs> I've been is... so bummed out this year. Sorry, why, why I don't mean to bring the room no, down. No, I don't know. We're, we're here to bring the room down. <laughs> That's what we're here to do. Yeah, I've been like super bummed out this year. Um, it's, I mean, you know, the world doesn't seem to be falling apart at really any quicker rate than mm-hmm. ever before but somehow it seems a little more visible the last couple of years so now your personal world but the world but, at large now the real reason i'm depressed is my personal world but that's okay. not interesting i'm trying to think of what no, really is though <laughs> <laughs> all right well really you want to know the story um, i do i do Maybe uh, if you don't want to tell it I'll, that's I'll, fine. T- I'll, I'll tell i need to be vague but it's like about like six months ago i fell in love like just way head over heels yeah for the first time in a decade. Mm-hmm. And I've just been looking and looking and wishing that something like that would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it really did. Um, finally really did. And it was this very nice lady and she felt the same way and it was very exciting. But, uh, she decided to get married to her fiance instead of leaving him for me. People do get married to their fiancés. Yeah, it's almost a given. Not always, but um, so anyway, yeah, I've been like very sad and missing her a lot. Uh, but uh, that's all there is to it. It's just normal, normal sadness. See, I don't even know if it's like the the clinical depression that people right. battle so much, or just like a valid reason to be sad for. A, few months <laughs> well did you uh did, did you experience much depression before that um i guess i've had i've had my bouts mm. uh but boy it's been nothing like this mm. um not that i can remember i'll get like bummed out and you know not want to go out for drinks and see people and not feel like i can handle it right. um or i'll like hide out and smoke pot and play civ 5 for a week or something yeah um I'm not. I'm not absolutely convinced that it's totally unhealthy to do that for a week every once in a while. I, I would agree. I think it, it's completely healthy. All these things I do are distractions and avoidance and like putting off dealing. I don't know why. I don't know why I speak of it with such little shame. <laughs> like when I think about myself doing it while I'm doing it, I feel ashamed. I'm like, oh, like I'm wasting my life. I could. But I could get my shit together and be happier. But I mean, it's it's hard to imagine what it would mean for you to get your shit together, quote unquote, because you're already a very productive person. 
In fits and bursts, you know, I'll spend like six months doing sixteen-hour days, yeah, and like knock out works? a record and a tour, and like, and then I'll just be a piece of shit <laughs> for six months. I'll just sit there. I, it's possible that that is necessary, and there's no other way that I could succeed in I making s- things. I certainly don't think you could do that twelve months a year. No, I know I couldn't go full speed. But what if I like worked super hard half of every day? <laughs> I feel like that would be a less totally debilitating by the end of you know the work cycle, and b less like boring and <laughs> self hatred inducing during the off times. So you have days where you act, you absolutely literally do nothing. Yeah, really. But you know what? Today I probably I got up at noon. You texted me uh-huh. <laughs> about this video shoot tonight. It's like all right, so right, I'm not gonna like sit and watch. You know, Xfinity and smoke pot and play this video game on my telephone all at the same time. Well, you're done with Daredevil. You got to have something to do now. I've been so like city aroundy the last couple weeks that like I don't eat. Huh. Like I get up in the morning, I'm pretty psyched about my egg and cheese and turkey bacon. I hear you. And I get kind of hungry then around like 8 p.m. But I'm just like, ah, fuck it. I don't. <laughs> If I don't really stand up, I'm not going to exert that many. I'm not going to lose that many calories. Right. I don't need to eat that bad. Maybe I'll like go to bed, have a little, go to bed about four in the morning like usual. Four have a little fantasy about being a Dickensian street urchin who can't afford food. <laughs> and that'll be the little rumble in my tummy. It'll take me to sleep like a friend. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I do find depression absurd even when I'm suffering from it. I hope I'm not, uh, you know, I hope I'm not making uh, other people who struggle more strongly with clinical depression um, mad at me for being flip about it. But I don't, I don't, I don't know. You, you sound ridiculous. like you're taking it pretty serious to me. Um, it doesn't sound like something that you want to continue to experience. I don't. But like, if that were true, wouldn't I like address it or get treated or well, go to therapy or something? Like, I don't do any of that shit. And you feel like that it would be some value in doing those things? I mean, it couldn't hurt. I don't, I'm not convinced it would help, but... Are you convinced that whatever you're going through is bad enough where you need help? That's the real problem. Like, nothing's ever bad enough to be, like, the worst thing it's that's t- ever I, happened and to I, me. You know? And I think that if something took you away from being productive permanently, that would be cause for alarm. Right. But since you are typically very... Produ- like, to me, productivity, especially for people who don't have a boss, like, that's the most... Like, that's the highest form of of uh i don't know i don't even know what the word is but it's like it's it's hard to look at somebody as having uh too serious of an issue if they're getting off their own ass on their own volition and making things that mean something to them and trying to figure out how to sell them to people and then getting on the road and presenting it and because all that shit is really hard you know so it's like it's it's yeah. difficult to imagine uh, that someone who's doing those things is broken, you know? Right. Well, I mean, I guess that's a lie too, because we're all broken. Right. But I guess broken beyond beyond the amount that it's okay for an artist to be broken and, and that, expected. Yeah, and that that line is what we're trying to find. I think. Yeah, I mean, if you take a therapy aficionado. Um, who's not an artist and you gave them like an actual 
fly on the wall view of any working artist's life, they would just be appalled I'm that sure. those people weren't in therapy. They'd be like, this is disgusting. Yeah. Like, you're a mess. You're like dumping what a mess you are out on everybody you interact with. <laughs> and the fact that people show up at your show and think you're great and clap at the end is, is empowering you and enabling you mm. to like keep doing this without fixing anything. Quick question for um, you. Do you think people around you that see you know you're a quote-unquote mess or you have these things going on? Do you think <laughs> that they realize it? Yeah, I mean, just because I won't stop yapping about that girl I fell for, but... I see. Um, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. You think, do you think that, uh, like, if you go do a show, that fans could tell that something was, was amiss? I think not, <clears throat> because... Um, that's one of those things that takes the pain away. Like going up on stage, right. like the best way to have a really good show is to be worried right beforehand that like your own personal nonsense is going to cause you to have a bad show because mm -hmm. then you can massively overcompensate right. for that. Um, you end up having a great show. You like take all that, all that attention you were gonna aim inward at your own bullshit and like use it to connect with the front three rows and everything goes great. Here's a question. Do you feel like you put that in your music at all any of your emotional challenges right um once in a while and i will like heavily code it now why is that it's, it's funny like i love earnest music sometimes um i love plain music i mean music that's lyrically up front right sometimes but the thing that i've created in writing rap music for the last 15 years it's all about kind of puzzles and encoding and if i feel like if i just sat down and said how i felt in a rap song it would make so little sense as mm. an mc front a lot song it would be this bizarre it would just feel like i had tripped over something and landed in a my face first in a puddle um and I prefer, and it's like I was saying before, it's about the crafting for me. Right. And you can go up there and do, like, you see people at slam poetry, <laughs> you know, like, <clears throat> they're being really earnest about how they feel about certain things, you know. <laughs> In the world. Right. Hey. And they might be kind of crafting their cadence a little bit. Right. They're, like, crafting their delivery a little bit. But in terms of a piece of literature that they're presenting it's almost like a stream of consciousness and that's its value as a piece right. is that it's just like, this is how I feel, you know? And I mean, that's so the opposite of what I do. I understand. Cause I, I, and I, I've said this to quite a few people that I don't like music that's too emotionally available. Mm. It's somewhat off putting to me huh. because, um, well, and I guess that's mostly in the sense of if, if, and this is me, it's going to sound super condescending, but it's my truth. If I feel like somebody's problem is super normal, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't necessarily want to hear about it. And it have been times where it's like taken me out of a song or pushed me away. Or even like 
there's beats that people like they're like to me I'm like I never would have picked that beat because it sounds so emotional huh you know like that that interesting feeling of that music is it the sentimentality that you it would is. like to strike yeah I yeah. don't I don't I don't <clears throat> it's like if you hear that song and it's like oh that song is op- like that beat is for a song that's obviously about um, you meeting your first love. It's like, I would never, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I wouldn't, I, I felt like I would have to take that motif and put it on his head somehow to, for, uh-huh. me, for me to be interested. Because in, I feel like, I guess, I feel like it's tread territory. Sure, the love know? song. But yeah. but somewhere out there, there's you have a favorite love song. Um, it will probably, like, I like love songs that sound like they're also about heroin. <laughs> like, that's like my, like, Neil Young, you know what I mean? Like, you it's know. possible that a large a large percentage of good love songs are about heroin. I've come to realize this, especially like as a kid that grew up in the nineties, I look back like, Oh yeah. Like the song is clearly about heroin. <laughs> like a lot of like Alice in Chains songs. I'm like, Oh, right. It's right there. Like he might as well have had a syringe in the video. Like, you know, <laughs> they but yeah. did love their heroin. They did. I had a, um, I had a writing teacher in college, uh, who told us that sentimentality is always a defect. That, um, one so of that's the, a, that 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 in that it takes something away from that it, that you naturally will try to put it in there, mm. but that you must seek it out and destroy it and remove it and cleanse your writing of of sentimentality. Now that's interesting. Um, in order to be writing well, that was what she thought. Now what was what was her basis for that? You think? I, I don't know her own like weird New England patrician <laughs> blue blooded. <laughs> Feelings of how <laughs> literature should exist. Um, I mean, she was awesome. This, was this lady named Annie Dillard. She's um, she's kind of a famous writer, and she her writing is, you know, free of sentimentality mm. <laughs> and stronger for it. And there's there's other kinds of writing that that probably doesn't apply to. Um, but I took that lesson to heart somehow. It impressed upon you, and I have you. Yeah, way. like if any, if I ever catch myself. Like being genuinely maudlin, you know, not for comic effect, or uh, dwelling on a on a moment <clears throat> of of heart feeling in the writing in a way that um, is like there because I think the the feeling is so important, and not because the effect of the construction of the words mm. is importantly pushing the audience into a place of feeling. Then I know I'm like. Then I need. I need to come at it from another angle. Is it a question of vulnerability? Well, that definitely helps me avoid vulnerability, which is something that's difficult for me. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, well, that's the thing. It would seem that maybe in person vulnerability seems natural to you, but in the character you've created, mm-hmm. is like none. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like when you're making these things, they're of you. And they, when they're done, they kind of become a part of you in a way. Right. But they're not you the way that the living you is you in a room with another living person. They are these objects that won't die and go on for eternity and can be scrutinized in slow motion mm-hmm. and aren't part of... Like, they're part of temporal experience in that you usually will listen to them from beginning to end, and mm-hmm. that takes the three minutes that the song spans... But you can pause it, you can rewind it, 
you can check that one little second where that mumbling background vocal is happening <laughs> and try and see whether like I buried Paul or not, you know, <laughs> it's like there's songs are these like weird crystalline fictional. Yeah. It's fake fossil these, moments. Yeah. They're fake fossils. They're stained glass windows that someone's trying to pass off as fossil records. Right. <laughs> wow. So like, yeah, you don't want to be vulnerable in that art. I mean, some artists strive to be, but I that's not my angle. Like I want to I want to convince you that the stained glass window is the fossil. Mm-hmm. And I want you to suspend your disbelief a little. Okay. And so there's theater. I think it is. Theater. Yeah, it's every, all of it. All of it's theater. Nerdcore used to be just a made-up word. MCs shied away from belief. Rest assured, they sleep hard no longer. We deliver the hits. to give the kids with the spectacle spectacular fits. I seen one nerd foam at the mouth in his glee. He was me in the mirror rhyming, brushing my teeth. And now the hazy wheeze off. Don't babble 300 bar to get no error while compiling my rhyme. The slip chart rap stylings of the hip kids continue to vex. to get sex, money, power, but the jams are like flecks of sea foam against the great reef of my boredom. I seen them trying to act cool. Ignore them, scored some geeked out beats and the mic, some jugglers I kick it with, don't even know why rap is alright. Cause soon the whole nerd corp will congregate and culmination of the monkey going off card date. Nerd corp will rise up, it could get elevated. Oh, and wouldn't all of those tough rappers hate it? But do you ever have an impulse to make your art have some space for some more of your experience? You know, I. I do. I have that impulse, and then I don't find a way to fit it in to what I'm doing. I'll tell you something similar with me. I've noticed in this pattern, um, four albums in now, that uh, I start to make songs for a project, and midway through, I'm like, all of this is too dark. Uh And I take the darkest things out, Uh and then I start making lighter things every time. So like, I have this, this, this stockpile of super depressing songs. Interesting. Like, I have a song literally called I Kinda Wanted to Die. Uh-huh. And like every, you know what I mean? It's like so literally written from this one headspace, you know? And I have a bunch of songs that I uh, come at from that headspace and um, they never make the album, you know? Like I put, yeah, I put I mean, a few of them on the ends of these podcasts before. mm who wants to make a record that's like a bummer all the way through? Um, Actually, we all want to make one, but who wants to listen to one? That's the- <laughs> but that's the funny thing. Whenever I mention that, people are like, oh, I want to hear them. Like, mm, I don't think you do. But but it's funny to me that they... I mean, I want to hear them as a fan of Open Mike Eagle, but I I can't imagine if I had the same stockpile of songs, like letting anyone hear them. Right. I Could- let people hear them when they ask for them, but it's just like, it's, it's difficult for me to put um, my full efforts of pushing behind some of that stuff. Because I don't, I tend to not want to give people uh, obvious departure points on a project if mm. if I can if I can see that that's what it probably is. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? If I feel like, oh, that's that's too heavy. There's no reason anybody's going to want to keep listening to this thing after they hear that. They're going to feel twenty pounds heavier. Going to turn this thing off and chuck it out of the window. You know? Right. That's an interesting way to think about constructing an album. You got to find all the exits. And board them over with I, a hammer and some I've two by certainly, fours. And at least, at least on my last album and everything I'm making going forward, I've I've been on that, like trying to, oh, wait a minute, that's not working, and destroy it or fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, because what I've learned is that the little thing 
that uh, tips me off in the beginning that something doesn't feel right in a song, even if it's just like how I pronounce a word. Uh-huh. Ultimately, by the time this thing goes to market, if I haven't done anything about it, it will bother the shit out of me. And then I'll hear somebody else say it and I'll feel so stupid for having done nothing. So like I try to like when I get that little tinge, I try to affect it immediately. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it doesn't become a monster later. Monster later. That's yeah. what to worry about. Ooh, could you press pause for a second? I sure. promise it'll be worth it. Uh, All right. It absolutely was worth it. Worth it. Yeah. You want? Do you want to tell people while we paused? Yeah, I uh, I went and got the only liquor I happen to have in the house at the moment, which is uh, this bottle of forty year old Scotch. My goodness. That I I pull out every maybe eight or eight or nine months when I have a very special visitor. Oh man. Thank Actually, you, maybe dude. I'll make it. It'll only come out when there's uh, one of my favorite rappers in my home. <laughs> Thank you. Last time it came out was when uh, Gene Gray came by to record for Question Bedtime. It tastes delicious. It tastes like an entire Christmas tree. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and a shot glass. It's amazing. We're not doing shots of it, by the way. We're we're sipping at our 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 tiny little right budgeted <laughs> droplet. So we are grandparents, and this is how grandparents consume. <laughs> this is the soberest I've ever been for a podcast, by the way. Really, I usually start out with a couple glasses you of know, scotch. I meant, you know, I I didn't mean to, but I had a thought before I got here. Um, I had a bottle of Bullet Bourbon mm-hmm. in my hotel room, and I'm thinking. Damien would probably uh, appreciate this. But then I was thinking I'd probably get too drunk and then I'd be drunk at my video shoot you got, in a way. You got that, business to do today. Yeah. I mean, and I'm going to drink at this video shoot. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know if I wanted to drink two hours before. Sure. You know? That's good thinking. I think so. It's all right thinking. <laughs> you know? I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I never know what I'm doing. Little Red Riding Hood was in good with the food distribution by her own volition, choosing to sincerely deliver to old folks sucker. Also bigger, cheese and crackers, salt and coffee, medicine to make the heart beat softly, awfully kind in a mission. Red was yes in a head-on collision with the forces of trouble, long at the tooth plus stubble. And this feels double for all little girls. Know who wolves are, don't be telling them where you're going, how far and what What are you working on now? Well... Uh, like I said, I've been working real hard on not having feelings. There you go. But ostensibly, I'm working on an EP that I want to get done this year called The Internet Sucks. Does the internet suck? Well, I love the internet. I do too. Um, but in a way, the internet kind of sucks. Like, in a way that it didn't feel like it sucked in 1998. Mm, that's interesting. Because um, back... there was There was a time... When, well, I mean, geez, there was a time when I didn't know that much about internet, but I still knew more about internet than almost anybody in the country because I was some college kid and our college computer lab had VAX terminals and you could like, you know, you could telnet somewhere and mm-hmm. you could like play MUDs. Um, you ever, you ever, do you remember RIP term? RIP term? Is that a terminal? Yeah, it or was, it was program? a... It was a way you could get on bulletin boards, but there would be some type of like uh, graphic interface, but it was very basic. It was just colorful, but it was still like um, ASCII, whatever. Uh-huh. It was that kind of thing, but that was my earliest experience. My my early, early times, I mean, from when I was old enough to tap out typing, it was uh, BBSs with Commodore 64, mm-hmm. um, and there were a number of platforms, but those were all dial-up and 
only the fanciest ones would have like a couple of Commodores networked together and multiple users. Mostly it was like, so those are like local networks more than anything. The phone was busy. If you, uh, <laughs> if you, if someone else was on it and you just set the modem to like dial all the different ones you wanted to get into and cycle until it got into one of them. So what felt different about the internet then? Okay. So like back then I remember like when mosaic came out, mm-hmm. right? First graphical web browser. Okay. And that was when, like, shit really kind of started. There being, like, a general interest kind of web. Like, you're not just looking up technical documents. Right. And it's no longer niche at that point. Stabbing dwarfs starting to with be. the other nerds in the lab, right? Um, and then, like, there was the big internet boom and the bubble, and I was soaking up money from that. I was living in San Francisco, mm-hmm. writing ad banners and oh, sm- God. Fucking smoking pot in the dog park for 75 <laughs> bucks an hour. It was fantastic, you know? It was like uh, one of those little boxes on the game show where the money's flying and you gotta like, <laughs> grab as stuff much as possible. So it was like that. And we knew that that sucked, that all these dumb companies with the douchey communications majors who'd moved to San Francisco to like be douches. Mm-hmm. We knew that that sucked, but that didn't really make the internet suck. The internet was still amazing. All media that had ever been created was free. Like all, you know, any information you could possibly imagine you could look up. These notions were radical. They're very commonplace now. Right. Um, and if you were like a sucker who didn't know anything about a computer, you could get on the internet, but it was over AOL. It was very right. easy That's to what like. I was, I was doing. I was keep... spending lots of times in those in those chat gr- those chat groups playing weird word games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. No. And if you're a kid, AOL had value. If you were a grandma, AOL had value. And if you were like out of college, AOL was was for noobs. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you didn't mess with AOL. You like went down to the office and sat on the T3 and hmm. checked out the, the pirate sites and got all the MP3 records. There that, you go. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, it's not, like, it's not like I did anything valuable with my life on the internet back then, but it was like a place of comfort and excitement where smart people right. were guaranteed to be everywhere. Right. Um, because you had to be like pretty smart to get into the parts of the internet that were interesting. There was a bar of entry. There was a huge bar of entry. Okay. Um, and I don't know that that, cre- that didn't like create any kind of utopia or anything. It's like, I don't know that all those people are people I would want to be in a society in general with. But whenever I wanted to get on the internet and do internet things, I was psyched that those were the only kind of people who were in those like MP3 mm-hmm. trading channels on IRC and like whatnot. You know, they were like, they were, seemed like kindred spirits. They were like the same kind of... Uh broken people you hang out with. <laughs> they probably were. Um, we were talking about what kind of media we wanted to pirate. We weren't talking about our feelings. But I'm guessing they were. They were like, they were probably the same kind of busted up folks. Um, and now, of course, the internet has been democratized and wonderfully made available to almost anyone who is not at the bottom of the lower class. Like if you can't afford a cricket phone, you probably still, and you're like, can't afford a shower and you can't even like, you're not even allowed in the library. Cause there's a, and there's a lot of community technology centers, especially like, especially in LA, like there's a lot of nonprofits who are like their whole mission is to have yeah. the computer lab. And that's excellent. You know? And at this point, the internet absolutely is a sort of a necessary life utility for a lot of 
things that adults need to do. Right. Like, I don't know how you would try and like get a job or figure out how to take a bus to Tucson or like, I don't know how you do any of that stuff. Or try to have like a weird threesome with strangers. Like how, how would you do it? (laughs) How would you go about it? You know? Right. There's no longer a bunch of like blurry photocopies of people with a little black bar over their face on a a cork board at the co-op for you to have sex with. You now have to use Craigslist. Right. (laughs) Um, So it's good that everyone has internet, but it has made internet a place that is not a haven for elitists like myself. Hmm. Um, and is instead a place where ev- seemingly every 15-year-old boy has a megaphone where they can tell women that they're garbage, mm-hmm. tell gay people that they're garbage, tell black people that they're yeah. garbage. They just like, there seem to be so many terrible human mm-hmm. children who have as much internet as they want and as much time <laughs> to be loud on it as they want. And it is makes the whole place stinky in a way that I hate. Um, and I think that the internet at large will move more towards gatekeeping around discourse. You will, we will see it eventually the sensible end to fucking open public comment threads on news articles. Right. You know, we don't need that shit. It's not helping. Right. They'll do away with it. But for the moment, it's just kind of awful. So the songs on my EP are like, never read the comments. Hmm. Uh, libertarians are assholes. <laughs> um, uh, there's one about dating profiles. Um, so it sounds a little. It sounds a little angsty. It's 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 going to be a comically overwrought, like crusty old man get off my lawn it. record about just how terrible everyone on the internet is. Um, and hopefully that'll be funny. I think it, it sounds like it. It sounds like, and I look forward to hearing it. And unfortunately, we have to stop here. Oh shit! Because I have to go shoot this video yeah and they're gonna start yelling at my phone you're very invited you can you can actually ride my back there if you'd like perfect we'll run (laughs) like mad master blaster there we go (laughs) yeah i've never seen that movie by the way oh well i'll spoil it for you master blaster runs barter town damn it all right well there you go another secret told so that was my interview with mc front a lot i learned a lot did you learn anything i learned a bunch um the podcast, I'm okay if it's just about me learning stuff and you hearing about it. I'm fine with that. You're along for the ride. Why? I don't know. Maybe you should tell me on your uh, iTunes, on your podcast rating device. When you go to the page and you click that you want to give it 17 stars and you want to give it a bunch of compliments. All things that I politely encourage. You can say I like listening to it because he learns stuff while he's talking to people. And even though I know it already, it's entertaining. How that happens, I don't know. Tell me how it happens. Send me feedback. OMEbooking at gmail.com. Last week, for the special uh, bonus song, <laughs> I've decided that all the extra songs now are now special and bonus. And uh, the one I did last week was that I made a beat. Uh, admittedly strange beat, but I love it. It touches my soul. And uh, I did a cook a hook over it. Not a cook. I did a hook over it. And I invited you to write your own bars and rap along with it. Only a few of you did. Not enough for you for me to keep doing that bit. But if you want to go back and try it, you still can. There's no deadlines. This isn't that kind of homework. It's homework you can do whatever you want. As long as you have not died, you are still eligible to complete this homework. And if you want, I can grade it. If you want. Um, here's one that I like, though. Uh, 
This guy is Simos. I think his name is Simos because in emails, there's not a, a usual way where people tell you how to pronounce their name. Like, it doesn't come with, you know, etymology and pronunciation guide, nothing. So it's just C-M-O-S, and I've decided that that means Simos. And here's his rendition. The secret Scandinavian principal Skinner rendition. He's your president now, by the way. Of Glass is Dirty. Open mic with the secret Skinners, the principal Skinners of Scandinavians. You know who you are. We wear glasses. You know what I mean? Stuff gets on here every day. It's like this. My glass dirty, I need your help. 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 Glass dirty, I need your help. My glass dirty, I need your help. My glass dirty, I need your help. My glass dirty, I need your help. Your part, kick your butt. Okay, sounds good. Smudging my lens again, stop the presses. I'm basically useless and practically obsessed with this nuisance. Same feces, different decorative frame, or just a crack in the lens. Don't wanna go through this again. What's better? One or two, let me show them back to you. Now, was that one or was it two? If this debris is in my head, man, I'm totally screwed. What's a living camera to do? Trying to document the entire lotus unfolding in front of who? Hold up, holding Caulfield, four rise gets no respect. Danger field, even with flawless windows on top of windows to the soul. Dang, you wield an example of who not to be. Dumb dude with greasy fingers rolling out of bed like a daisy glee. Painter with no sense of colors, your print shall leave. Did you just sweat the life out of limbs? Drew carry thick rims, catcher of dead bugs and anxiety melting away quietly. Man, toss up, microfiber claws, Satan. I got some people to see and horrible things you have done to me. Everything is better with clarity unless you're watching your girlfriend cheat. Huh, universe, tell me all about it, but don't skip on the details. Trying to save it all to my internal hard drive. My, my free space is on inhale. My glass is dirty, I need your help. My glass is dirty, I need your help. Help my glass dirty, I need your help. 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 Thank <laughs> you.